Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you had a nice break. I took last Thursday off for Thanksgiving. First day off I've had since starting this show back in May. It was nice just to kind of recharge. You know, we did uh, the Zoom family thing. We did not have family over. Just our immediate household here. Cooked a small turkey. And even that has yielded a lot of leftovers. Cooked a lot more side dishes than we expected. A lot more desserts than we expected. Ate a lot. I'm feeling good, though. Ready to get back in it. Mike Holmes is my guest today. You know Mike from HGTV. Holmes on Holmes is probably the biggest show that he's done, but he stars in a bunch, uh, both in the U.S. and Canada and really across the world. Holmes and Holmes that brings his kids into the picture. Holmes 911. Holmes Make It Right. Mike's Ultimate Garage. I mean, this guy has been making television for close to 20 years, all in the home improvement space. And if you've been listening to this show at all or you know my background, I was a producer and director at This Old House Productions. I ran Ask This Old House for a number of years. So I certainly know this space. And talking to Mike, it felt like coming home. It was so nice. It was so fun. Uh, We have a lot in common and a lot of common interests and a lot of common passions, which you'll hear in the interview today. Mike's a guy that I don't know well. I met him briefly at the International Builder Show back in 2012, I believe. I did not introduce myself, so he will not remember having met me, but I just went up as a fan, effectively. He was doing a meet and greet, and I thought, boy, this would be fun to to get a picture with him. But of course, as you can imagine, you know, it's weird because I worked effectively for the competition, so I felt weird introducing myself as part of this old house. And I also was kind of watching over my shoulder the whole time I was waiting in line because... We used to send so many people down to the Builder Show. I mean, there are probably 20, 25 easily people from our organization all walking the floor of this trade show. And so it felt weird to kind of wait in line and, you know, worry that somebody from work might see me and be like, what are you doing meeting Mike Holmes, you know? But uh, I got to shake hands with him briefly, and I've always enjoyed his programs. He certainly knows his stuff and seems to be one of the people that is out there trying to do the right thing. So I was really excited just to trade notes on how you marry construction and TV production, which is something I dealt with for a long time. So we talked a lot about that. And then we got into an area that I am equally passionate about. And it's something that, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, I talk about a fair amount. I don't talk about it as much on this podcast, just because this has been more about entertainment. But I am really big into things like renewable energy and using new technology to make our homes smarter and safer and more comfortable, better for us, better for the planet, you know, all those things. I am somebody that's kind of obsessive about that and don't just talk the talk. I walk the walk. I've got solar panels on my roof. I've had them for a better part of eight years now, eight, nine years, something like that. I have a tankless water heater. We insulated first thing when we moved into this house. You know, just a lot of upgrades like that that have made it a lot more efficient to live in this house, a lot more comfortable, and at the end of the day, a lot more affordable. Our bills are way less now than when we moved in, and it's been nice. So Mike shares a vision for a lot of those same things, and you're going to hear us nerd out (laughs) about house stuff. So I hope you like that. Uh, It's a different show. It's not just about the TV industry today but a lot about home building as well. And I think there's a lot of improvements we can make there. And it was nice just connecting with Mike and feeling like we had uh, a lot of shared values and shared background, even though this is really the first that we've met short of a meet and greet, you know, in a big line at the Builder Show eight years ago. Before we roll into the interview too, I just want to mention Mike is known for his trademark phrase, make it right which is about, you know, building everything the right way, doing it right the first time. His website is makeitright.ca. He does mention in this interview the Make It Right houses that are in New Orleans. And I just want to be clear, there is a distinction from Mike Holmes and the Make It Right houses that were built in New Orleans. Even though there is a similar name there, essentially Make It Right was a charity that went in and helped rebuild some of the Lower Ninth Ward after Hurricane Katrina. And 
there were some issues afterwards with sort of the quality of houses and, you know, it ended up being a, a class action lawsuit. These were houses that were very near to a project that I was a part of as part of this old house in New Orleans. So I, I certainly know that area well. I know those houses well. And there was another show that was part of this old house that had covered them as well. So I talked in shorthand with Mike. He knew what I was talking about. I knew what he was talking about. But just for your sake, I want to be clear, the Make It Right Foundation in New Orleans is very separate from Mike's business up in Canada. So with business taken care of, let's get into it. Here is my interview with contractor, TV personality, all of the above, Mike Holmes. Well, let's start by just talking about this quarantine period. I'm curious sort of how these last, you know, seven, eight months have been for you. This has been wild for me, actually. We were filming in Vancouver January of this year, and uh, it was a big show we're doing for CTV here in Canada. Uh And around March 21st, we got shut down. And at first, I thought it was just us. And then I realized that it was the whole country that got shut down and uh, literally off for three and a half months. Wow. So that was like, I've never had that in my life. You right. know, I've always complained. I don't get vacations. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, I, I liked it at first because I'm like, wow, I got a vacation. And then I got really bored and I ripped my deck apart. And <laughs> I redid the deck uh, and turned it into something spectacular. The office wanted to do live Facebook with it, which became a massive hit. And yeah. People wanted to, I guess see what I was doing at home and what I was doing in the COVID times. But, you know, beyond all of that, it really has been surreal to see uh, the changes of people, of regularism. And uh, this COVID thing, man, it's it's honestly, uh, I think, an awakening more than anything. Yeah? What do you mean? In what way? Well, to me, uh, we all used to shake hands when we met each other. I'd be, hi, what's your name? Sure. Right? And shake hands. And now people are so leery about shaking hands. They're leery of going out. And I, I can't blame anyone for this, uh, that, they, that you know this has happened. It's because it's become a normal. And I think that also through all of this, you know, the things we didn't expect to explode or the things that we thought would grow that didn't, such as, you know, masks, toilet paper, uh, hand, hand sanitizer, uh, lining up to go to the bank, lining up to get food. Right. Like, talk about something totally different that, you know, we did not expect. Yeah. How are things in, in Ontario? Like, are they, are, do they feel relatively calm right now? Like, we're, we're just kind of crazy here in the U.S. Like, things are just out of control and exploding again. And, you know, we're, we're clearly in, like, a second or third wave. But how are things looking north of the border right now? Well, you know, it's funny because I just got back from Atlanta. So speaking about quarantine, yeah. I'm in my home now. I've got a couple more days to complete my quarantine, so I'll be thankful to get out. But, uh, I mean, Ontario or Canada is not as bad as the United States, and I think I understand it because once it got to a certain level with so many people, it becomes to the point where it's almost impossible to control it. I think even if the U.S. shut down right now for 30 days, I don't think they'd solve the problem. And that just causes a huge economic disaster. Canada right now is again, uh, in a minor second wave, uh-huh. but are acting diligently. And they have, you know, they're shutting down in certain areas, not so much work anymore, but restaurants, you know, gatherings, they're, they're really controlling that. And I think it's the, the one and only way that we can uh, get to the point where maybe it's going to not be as bad or I guess, wait for the vaccination. Yeah, right. Well, and we've got here, you know, our Thanksgiving is coming up this week. And that's just like the fallout from that is going to be interesting because I think a lot of people are are staying home and, and opting not to get together. But just as many people kind of miss bonding with their family and all. I mean, you guys had your Thanksgiving, what, about a month or so ago, right? Like, I wonder, you know, what was the reaction um, to to Thanksgiving plans in Canada? It was honestly the same. You know, I didn't I didn't get together with my family. I was in Atlanta. Actually, it was the first day that I got in Atlanta. It was our Thanksgiving. But uh, they didn't really get together neither, simply because everyone is concerned. Uh, I mean, my daughters have daughters and, you know, and a son. Uh, and, and they're concerned about their kids. 
And it's kind of a, it's, I don't want to say kind of a drag. It is a drag because we're so used to being together that this is hard steps to try and control ourselves not to say, you know what, we can talk by phone. Yeah. Uh, we'll see each other soon when maybe it gets better. But the, the worst thing is it's not getting better. It's not getting better at all. It's right. actually getting worse everywhere. Right. Well, it's interesting, too, because I feel like there are certain industries that you can do from home. I mean, like, obviously, this podcast I'm recording in my house and, you know, <laughs> bankers or people that deal with spreadsheets or emails or, you know, whatever, that kind of stuff. There are certain things that people have figured out how to do remotely. But two of the hardest things to do remotely and, and not together are construction and TV production, which are, you know, your two main industries, I guess. I wonder, like, have you guys gone back to work on either side, on the construction side or the TV side? And, and what does that look like? Well, we went back to production and construction uh, three and a half months after March 21st. Oh, wow. And we haven't stopped. We really haven't stopped since. And uh, but it's been so hard because, you know, everyone's got to wear a mask. Uh, we're limited to the amount of people that can be in the house. It's, it's costing so much more money to do television and construction. I mean, construction prices have gone through the roof yeah. here, especially lumber has, has more than doubled, which is insulting because, you know, don't capitalize on everyone staying home and working on their deck and needing right. wood which they are doing. And it's, it's bothersome to me because I don't like people that take advantage of other people. I have a feeling this is going to be like this for a while yet. Yeah. What has the, just sort of the vibe on set, I guess, how has that changed in, in the mood? I mean, you mentioned the masking, but sort of, you know, is, does it still feel the way it did pre pandemic or is it a whole different atmosphere now? Well, we're pretty pretty good based in construction and production mixed together. I've been doing this for 20 years on television now. And uh, so the vibe is still good because everyone loves each other. We all know each other. We're all very careful not to catch it, not to pass it. But it's, I think, the hindrance of having to wear the masks and having to limit the people that is, is just caused mainly annoyances yeah. on timing. When we know we can be so much more efficient, it's really hard, you know, to be efficient today. Right, right. Well, I know, you know, I'm not sure how much you know about me, but my background was with this old house. I worked there for about 15 years uh, and just got laid off in March. So, you know, fa fairly recently uh, was, was still doing a lot of the same kind of work. But, you know, I know our crews were pretty small. It was, you know, maybe one or two cameramen a sound man and a couple of producers. Are you guys sort of similarly crude? Is, is it a relatively compact team that, that makes the shows? Yeah. Well, I've owned the production company from day one. I'm oh, a Leo. Cool. So when, you know, they asked me, you know, when they asked me to, I, I gave the network an idea. I said, I don't like the shows in your channel. Uh, I can tell there's no permits. I'm surprised you haven't been sued. And I, you know, someone I met at HGTV years ago. Yeah. And I was more or less giving him crap and told him what type of show I thought he should have. And uh, he jumped up and asked for a pilot right away, and I laughed my head <laughs> off. And he said, I'm a contractor. I'm not a TV guy. Right. And he bugged me for months. He really did. And then um, he said something special. And uh, I said, okay, I'll try it, uh, but I own it or I'm not doing it. And uh, it ended up breaking every single record on the network and went around the world. Uh, but in truth, yes. You know, because of that, we were, very, you know, I learned quickly how to be a producer and how to be, you know, smart. One camera, two cameras max. We don't need more than that. Too many people on set is just too much anyways. Right. I've been on the really big production side when I did Home Free for Fox. And that was ludicrous to me, you know, seeing 12 cameras. And I, I kept saying, you guys are going to cross shoot each other. And of course they did. <laughs> right. But it's it's the world you, you live and learn in. I'm sure you've been also on bigger sites with bigger production that just, it's holy cow, money just flowing every freaking where. Yeah. Well, it's funny, you know, like I've done, you know, when I was with this old house, I used to do media appearances and stuff with them, you know, the Today Show or the Tonight Show or things like that. And it is interesting to sort of see those crews through a contractor's eyes. Like it, it is a very different calculus, I think, when you're bringing a home building sensibility to TV production and sort of thinking about, you know, I assume the way you approach a job site is probably very similar to the way that you approach TV production in terms of like, how can I do this for the lowest cost possible and still get a really high quality product out of it? 
and there's not sort of the, the built-in momentum, I guess, that comes from just being in the TV industry. It's a, it's a different lens to apply to it. Well, you know what? It didn't take me long to learn at the beginning that uh, television to produce was exactly those words, to produce. Producers had ideas and tried to find someone to, you know, to do the show, whether they're actors, whether they're natural. So, you know, we, it wasn't to produce. It was to create uh, a reality, a true reality. And I, I think that's the difference between uh, the, the shows. And I, I've seen your show. I love your show. I mean, I've watched your show for years. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, this old house, all it touches me too, because, you know, I can tell it's real. And, and completely within reason, I know that it's real. Yep. And you guys are doing the best that you can to help teach. And, and I, you know, that's what I do. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I want to ask you sort of about that history and, and you know, how you got into, you, you sort of mentioned getting into the TV piece of it, but the contracting piece, you learned that at a very early age, right? Oh, I did. I was, I was the little guy. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we didn't have Nintendo and PlayStation and my dad, he was a jack of all trades, master of none. I truly didn't understand that statement until I got older. Yeah. But he worked at General Motors. He was a third class engineer. And, uh, uh, you know, just, man, I was six years old. I was even younger when I was working with him. But at six years old, he taught me to rewire, you know, the whole house, which I did under her, his supervision. When I was 12, I, I finished my complete first basement. And then after that, my dad was telling everyone else that wanted to hire him, you know, hire my son. And I don't think when we're young that we know what we want to be or what we're going to be. And there was just something that I loved. So by the time I was 19, I got offered under contract from a big construction company to uh, run the company. And it's funny because 19 years old, I told him, I said, I'm the boss. Nobody tells me what to do and I'm making money. Yeah. And I looked at my son at 19 and I went, holy cow, man, I was 19. <laughs> my son at 19 was 12 to me. Right. But I guess you had years of experience at that point too. I mean, if you're if you're learning, you know, you're you're a decade plus into your journey at 19 at that point, just from being around your dad and being on those job sites, right? Oh, so much so because I learned from everyone else. I learned, you know, why is this drywall molding? So it wasn't just uh, that it was molding. I had to learn why, and I learned about organics and the two food groups of mold, why it forms, and I can spread this to absolutely everything with the building industry. And, uh, my whole drive was to learn as much as I could learn. Even today, if I hear something that's totally different, I'll go, wait a minute, what'd you just say? Yeah. You know, why, why, why? I want to know that answer. Right. And it was something, I guess, my father distilled into me. He said, it, you know, it's, it's never about how, how, Mike, it's about why. Why are you doing this? Yeah. And uh, that's one thing I respect that he gave me uh, was not only the desire to learn, but the desire to do it right the first time. Well, it's interesting, you know, that sort of jack-of-all-trades piece of it, in some ways, I feel like that's an asset that people don't have nowadays. Like, I feel like things are so specialized now. Like, you're going to be a, a drywaller or a tile setter or an electrician or, you know, whatever it is. And often, those trades, they don't overlap each other the way they used to, right? Like, I feel like that's sort of for you coming up in this business and being able to learn all aspects of it, it makes you better at all of them. You know, even if you ultimately end up focusing on just one piece of it to understand what the other tradespeople are going through, what they need, like that just makes you better all around. And I, I don't know, for me, at least that was sort of my experience is that that piece is missing sometimes now. Do you agree with that? You're 100% correct, because in order to be very good at what you do, you need to know a lot or even a little about everything. Uh, how, knowing a lot about everything is even better because it, it puts you in a different, uh, I'm going to say, level of success. The difference between what we used to do, because years ago, you know, working with everyone, we actually worked together. We got to know each other. We, we asked each other questions. And that's, I think, how we did so well. In today's world, and I'm talking, you know, probably the last 15 years especially, it all became and turned into piecework where, like you said, the drywaller, they're so busy doing drywalling, they don't care about anything else. They can't wait for the framers to finish so they can get their job done, get on to the next job. Right. And it's turned into such a piecework industry that we don't really realize 
what it takes to do the other part of it. So the drywallers really don't understand the framing process, or actually in a way they do, because a drywaller can always tell if a, there's a bad framer, because if the crowns aren't all one way, he has a problem putting up the drywall and tends to have to scab onto the vertical structure yeah. to put on his drywall. And it all comes down, it's funny how it all comes down to from the, to the plasterer who's got to fix the drywall mistakes to the painter who's got to make it look really good. He's <laughs> right. the finale or the finale artist. But if we all really understood this, how the importance of why the crown uh, the crowns have to go one way, and especially on the outside and not on the inside, and I can keep teaching this simply because I've done this for so many years, I think we're going to be better off. I think that's why uh, successful companies work with the same framers, the same electricians, the same plumbers, uh, because they they know each other. They they're into a groove of when. When each trade has to be brought in on the job site, and that really starts off with the head, you know, the general contractor. Sure. Well, I wonder too, like talking about younger kids sort of missing that piece of it. When you have a new recruit on the job site, how do you begin to sort of teach them that that sort of holistic approach to building? And you know, even if they're not installing every piece of it, understanding the components that go into that. It's always good hiring someone that's got. Um, some practice behind them and then they come into my world and I'll watch them. I'll give them little tasks and I'll watch them. And I, you know, that's when I'll go up and I'll start saying, you know, don't do it this that way. I want you to do it this way. And let me explain why. And I always, I always feel it. It has helped in all the years that I've been, I guess, teaching uh, the next generation and what I believe they need to know. It's not about, look at Joe, you go Frame that wall that you've got, you know, 20 minutes to do it. It's never been about that. And it's been about if there's a mistake to say, okay, who did this? This is a mistake. Let me show you why it's a mistake. Take it down and do it again. And I'm going to do it with you so you understand it. That has been a success for me over the years. It's cost money. It's cost time. But it doesn't matter because the truth is it's, it's end up being so well. If I can teach someone else to do things better then I'm better off. However, on the flip side of that, I don't know how many people that have worked with me over the 40 years of being into this business that have six months later going, you know, I, I deserve twice the amount of money you're, you're paying me. <laughs> right. And I laugh at that and they think they can go out on their own. And they, they, they realize after that, once I do let them go, that uh, that was a huge mistake. Yeah. They should start, stick around and be patient learn as much as you can and and be good at what you do. Right. Well, and I feel like sort of pointing out that bad workmanship has sort of become one of your trademarks of, you know, calling out bad contractors and and helping people uh, look for good work, I guess. But, you know, part of what I struggle with, I guess, in that approach is like how much of it is malintent on the contractor's part and how much is just like not knowing any better. Like I feel like there, there is no formal kind of trade education program, at least here in the States, you know, there's the building code, but like there's not a a college degree for uh, learning how to, how to build a house and there's no sort of agreed upon standards. So people learn it one way or they figure it out on their own because, you know, someone will write them a check. But like, I guess that, that for me is just, how do you balance that line? I guess of like, figuring out which contractors Man, are you, crooks. <laughs> yeah. you, you nailed it on the head. Uh, you know what? All they teach is minimum code. They don't teach building theory. We don't teach breathing theory. We don't teach all the theories that are necessary. And I guess it really does, like like in school, come down to the teacher on how good they are. Yeah. You know, I remember teachers when I was a kid, and some that were good and some that weren't good. But it's we. I think we need to focus more on our theories than we do on just minimum code because minimum code is the beginning of building something that's not going to or is not supposed to fall down. <laughs> right. But that's not the way to do it. Now, when it comes down to, it, I wrote five books, and my first book was called Make It Right. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to bash anyone or everyone. That's never been my intent. And I called the industry, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I'll try and explain it in a way that makes sense and maybe you'll agree with me, and I'd love to hear your opinion on it. The good, 20%. The bad, 70%. The ugly, 10%. 
The reason I say the good is about 20% because these are the type of guys that have so much integrity. Uh, they will go back and fix things. They want to learn from their mistakes. They know how to educate the homeowner, the bad. These are, and I don't want to call them bad, but these are the everyday, you know, construction guys out there that are just in it for the money. They don't know enough. They don't care enough. And because of those two things, that becomes a big problem when it comes to working for someone else and taking their money. Yeah. The ugly, we know, 10% these guys are trained at robbing everyone. They should go to jail. Uh, and I, when I see guys like that, I do whatever I can to make sure that someone comes down on them. But there's still, there's just, there's no policing. You can steal a pack of gum and you will go to jail or can go to jail. Right. Uh, but you know what? You take $100,000 or more from someone, and there is no jail sentence for that. You've got to hire a lawyer uh, to go after the contractor. It's a sad situation as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that assessment. And I think that ugly piece of it, unfortunately, it gets amplified a lot more than you know the, the good and the bad, I guess. And so it sort of gives the whole industry this bad rep. 100% correct. Yes. Uh, the, the majority of people out there, they know someone that's been screwed uh, by a contractor, a new home builder. I mean, everyone has heard the stories. And I think that's why my show resonates with so many people around the world. But the truth is, you said it. They, their, their assumption is, is that at least half the contractors out there are robbers, thieves, right. and they're not. You know, these guys that are in the bad category, they have an opportunity to learn. And I'm, and I'm hoping through teaching homeowners and everyone I can out there, including, you know, the possible bad contractors, that you can fix this, that you can get better at this. And I'd like to think they are. And this point of homeowners out there, they need to do their part, too. And, and what, what is their part? I believe their part is to educate themselves as much as possible before doing a job rather than hiring the first heartbeat that's available because they want it done tomorrow. Right. Well, th there is an issue, though, that's too. That's a mistake that, in itself. Yeah. Th th there's a labor shortage issue, though, too. And I, I assume you guys deal with it in Canada. We certainly it's – a, it's a huge problem here in the U.S. And I know, like, you know, for the last, I don't know, four or five years – Every house I would go to and, you know, I was producing Ask This Old House. So we were going around the country, literally like ringing doorbells and, you know, fixing small projects for people. So I was in, I don't know, 60, 70 homes a year. And I don't know, half the time, maybe you would hear people say, I'm so glad you guys came. I have tried to have three contractors look at this and nobody would return my call. You know, one guy came over and then just has ghosted me. And I'm not saying that it's the contractor's fault. Like, I, I honestly think there's just too much work for these contractors to handle, too. And it's like, but from a homeowner standpoint, then it can get frustrating that, like, you can't get anybody to even answer the calls or it takes, you know, two months to get somebody over to fix a, you know, a little drip in a faucet. Like, I don't know. I, I don't really have a question other than just an observation that sort of the industry's in a tough place, right? It's a real observation. Are you kidding? We've been short in skilled trade since I was a kid. And it's funny because I became the ambassador to world skills and I love world skills. If you've ever been to a world skills event, you, or you have it, you must go to one. Oh, yeah. I'm sure you know of, uh, skills USA. Sure. Yeah. And, and this is the, you know, it's, it's funny because I, I said it for years that, you know, we have the Olympics on television, but we don't put world skills on television. Mm. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's the Olympics of trades. And, and yes, this, this shortage has only gotten worse because we've built more houses. We're building more to subdivisions, more condos, you name it, more commercial. Now we've got to fix the bridges we built from years ago, the roads. And, and the infrastructure is so humongous right. that we don't have enough people. And this is a big government problem. I mean, when I was in school, uh, I had sheet metal. I'm talking grade five, six, seven, and eight. Wow. I had sheet metal, woodworking, welding, uh, and I got 100 percent in every one of these classes, <laughs> you know, or 98. I don't yeah. want to, you know. I got I was because I loved it. Yeah, but sure. that was taken out of school. Now I'm 57. I was taken out of school so many years ago due to cutbacks that all of a sudden there's that no hand-on temptation anymore for kids in school to get into the trades. 
And if anything, I think a lot of the parents that have been in the trades either, te- you know, tell their kids, don't get in the trades. My knees are gone. My back is gone. You know, manipulation in many different ways. I'm going to be a computer analyst, IT, uh, uh, robotics, which is also cool. It's part of the trades. Don't get me wrong. But there is no real hands-on temptation anymore. And uh, there needs to be a lot more push to, to show that the trades are a huge opportunity in this world, that you will never be out of work, that you will make good money. And, and you know, I don't think we can do enough pushing this. I'd like to see world skills on television. I have worked with the organization to try and film this and turn this into something big. And I'm never going to give up as long as I'm alive. Yeah. I'm going to keep doing that. And I hope hopefully one day, you know, we get it on television. Uh, for everyone out there, you know, let's tell them you got to look up world skills because it is an incredible thing that happens every two years. That's awesome. But I wonder, too, like, you know, HGTV, I feel like especially during this quarantine time has been more popular than ever. Like people are, if if not actually working on their houses, at least really thinking about sort of how they live in them and how they want to live in them. But I feel like there's a role there, too. Like certainly your show has has a lot of sawdust on it. But so much of that network is kind of focused on design and stuff, too. And like, I, I wonder just if there's a way to take that sort of natural interest that's there anyways. People love watching things happening on houses and make more content that, you know, really shows the nitty gritty of it instead of just, you know, how it looks in the end and, you know, kind of picture perfect. And it's not just HGTV. I mean, Instagram and Pinterest and there's a lot of culprits in that. But you know, I feel like people are too oh, focused man, on how things ever. look than, you know, how they function and what's behind the walls. Well, it has been always the catalyst to everything because when when HGTV first came out as an example, and we will talk about HGTV, it was about the looks. It was about people watching the channel going, oh, my gosh, I would love a bathroom like that. Yeah. I want a kitchen like that. I, I can have a deck like that. And I, it's, I think it started the genre. This old house definitely was one of the uh, older shows that accomplished this. And, and it created the desire to do renovations more than just fix the things that went wrong. Like years ago when I was a kid, my yeah. dad, you're going to fix it yourself because you can't hire someone. Right. And I think that's how he became a jack of all trades. The irony of it all is what has happened from it years and years later to now that yes, people because of COVID are watching so much TV and, and they're now they're stuck inside their home where I can give you the stats that 80% of all homes have, have worse indoor air quality than outside. Sure. And we're always trying to achieve out, uh, outdoor air quality to indoor air quality. And what they don't realize is that now that they're inside their homes more than ever, these 80% are up to five times worse indoor air quality than outdoors. So we've seen a rise in asthma. We've seen a rise in bronchitis. We've seen a rise in allergies that are just ridiculous. We've seen a rise in cancers. We've seen, okay, now I'm not a doctor, but I can actually put this together and understanding that because we are stuck indoors, this is a really bad thing. We've got now the new network, and that's online, that's podcasts, that's, uh, uh, you know, so many things on the Internet, YouTube, how, how do I install my toilet? You know, I, it, there, there needs to be uh, a really, it's a great avenue, don't get me wrong, because if you watch enough of it, you can probably learn the basics to do things yourself or at least work with professional contractors out there. But the irony of all, all of this has blown me away that we are stuck inside our home and not understanding just because we can't see what's in the air. We need to learn what is in the air. Right. No, that that's a great point. And it's interesting too. Like one of the things that always frustrated me with, with the housing industry is sort of how slowly things move. And, and that's understandable. We don't renovate our houses that often, you know, maybe every 15 or 20 years, if that, but you know, things like your cell phone, you're upgrading every year or two, your car every four or five years and you sort of see the technology progressing in some of those places way faster. And I'll bet most people don't know what an ERV or an HRV is, let alone why they should have one. And, you know, like just little things like that. Like, And that was something I always struggled with. And it sounds like you do, too, of like, how do you how do you get that information in front of people? How do you get them to care? Or, you know, like I upgraded my my heating and air conditioning, I don't know, eight, ten years ago. 
And at the time, and, and ERV wasn't part of the conversation at all. And now I'm like, oh, like that would have been the time to have done it. Like, why didn't I should have asked, but I also should have been offered that, you know, and, and it didn't come up in any context. And, you know, now I wish I had. Yeah, you're, talk, you're talking about energy recovery ventilation, which, yep. man, people need to learn about. It's funny because I figured doing my show, especially in the first couple of years, uh, and I've seen the response that, you know, we're going to fix stuff. We're going to we're going to better codes. We're going to we're going to, you know, th- things are going to get better. And the truth is they haven't. Yeah. The, the funny part about this is that people will still renovate their kitchen before putting on a new roof. Right. And that's the systematic thing of doing things backwards. Yep. We need to understand uh, uh, the most important things, and that is your kids, your livelihood. And how do you live healthy? There is no education out there, well, not enough anyways, about a healthy home and the importance behind it. There's a ton of quartz countertops or, or you know, uh, you name it, I don't care, even sure. up to porcelain now, which I think is fabulous that the porcelain countertops can be out there. But we need more education on the healthy side. This is the most important thing today in this world people need to pay attention to, and that is being healthy inside our home. If this COVID stuff or this new virus stuff continues in the next many years to come, we're going to be locked inside our home and inside the buildings we work in more than anything. Right. And that is going to cause such a future huge problem of health issues. Okay, what is an ERV? If you have an HVAC system, and that's just little things that you and I are going to play about, that's heating, ventilation, air conditioning. And we've now in, in just wrapped our house so tight to make it more energy efficient, which is the goal. Yep. What we're doing is we're trapping all the off-gassing from furniture, carpets, floorings, you name it, inside our home. And we're not getting enough fresh air from outside. So that's when we're forced to put in an HRV or an ERV. And all we were trying to do is cycle that stale air out of the house and bring in fresh air and filter it properly in, in simple science. Right. But that's never been an important role to anyone because it's not really put out there. It's not told out there the importance behind it. I guess you think wearing a mask and I want to, I want to, let's equivalent this your HVA system, system in your home, your furnace, the filter on that furnace, remember, the ductwork of the home is your lungs of the house. Yeah. The filter on the furnace is what filters that crap air going from, you know, through the house con- consistently. And yet we don't change that filter enough. It's recommended right. to change every three months. I say change it every freaking month. Yeah. But better yet, yeah. if you don't know, here's a great example. If, if your kids are sneezing a lot, you're coughing a lot. And our first assumption is, oh, I've caught a cold. We don't seem to think that we're actually breathing poor air inside our home. And a quick fix that I want to teach everyone out there is if you can't afford an ERV or don't understand this at all or an HRV, go buy an air cleaner at any big box store and put it in each room of the house. Test it for two weeks, and all of a sudden, you're going to see that everyone starts breathing better. Right. Now, we can get better than this, Heath. I've just learned that a high-velocity system uh, is it comes with an engineered all on its own, and it can have a MERV-14 on that. We did that in the lower ninth ward with uh, the Make It Right team, which unfortunately failed not too long ago, and it's yeah. such a depressing story. But we were able to build a home, no shit, that was Category 5 hurricane-proof. It was the cleanest indoor air quality. We could we could show people that had asthma so bad, the whole family, if we put them in these houses, they'd forget what asthma was for $90 a square foot. And all of this fell to the way scale due to, oh, my goodness, a bunch of bull. You know, yeah. when I first went down there, the property value went up. People started selling their properties. It broke the chain of making it right uh, to corruption in the end. And I don't want to say it was corruption, but you know, I'm assuming corruption came in, whether it was people making too much money or cutting corners 
obviously the system failed and it became a, a big class action lawsuit that I'm really disappointed with. We have the ability and we need to really teach people what we need to be doing. I've always, always said it, the three little pigs would love to hear these things and learn how to build smarter. You know, it's a simple analogy. Yeah. And why are we not doing it, Heath? You know, still today, I'm watching the biggest home builders out there are the ones that can go from Canada to the United States and build another thousand homes. Yeah. But they're not building them any better. Right. They're only building them so they look good, right. it's like icing on the cake. Yeah, no, that's my biggest frustration too. And and people fall for it. Like they don't they don't look at what's happening behind the walls. They don't look at the systems. They don't look at the indoor air quality. They're literally just looking at finishes. And and even sometimes, I mean, like I feel like flooring, the quality of that has gone way down and just little things like that. But like you can you can mask that with a granite countertop. Like there are just sort of weird buzzword things, you know, Nest Thermostat was a big one for a while that like you can put these on a real estate listing and people, they just go gaga over it, whether or not it's actually improving <laughs> the quality of their life. And, and, you know, and home values are, I'm sure it's the same in Toronto. They're insane around here that like, it's, it's really hard to buy a starter home anymore unless you're, you know, an hour outside of the city and the real estate market, you know, houses are just getting snapped up like crazy and then, you know, you've you've spent so much to buy the house to do any sort of renovations or upkeep becomes very difficult, too. And it's just it's this crazy cycle right now that, like, I don't I don't see an end in sight for it. You know, well, it's funny because I thought a couple of years ago, maybe five years ago, because time is flying, that the real estate market was going to crash and yeah. it's not crashing. It's, it's just it's huge. And it's. You know, it's funny because you talked about the granite countertops and, and the funny, the, the weird thing about this is that it has made people feel better. They're going in the wrong direction. Remember, they're staying home. The renovations now are higher than they've ever been because yeah. now they're saying, I need my bathroom done. I need my kitchen done. And they're doing it to make themselves feel better, which is a wonderful thing. You know, having that deck in the backyard and, and the new barbecue, because we can't be outside, we're going to have to stay home more. But they're feeling really good about these wonderful things that they've done to their home, but they're missing the most important thing, what to do first. Like I said, the roof before yeah. the kitchen Right. is that we need to look at being healthy. In order to do that, we need to educate each, each other. Homeowners need to educate themselves as to how do I have a healthy home? And a healthy home is not in minimum code at all. As a matter of fact, minimum code will give you an unhealthy home every single day. Right. Stop focusing on the icing on the cake because that's only, it's only something that looks good. That icing can be on the crappiest tasting cake, which unfortunately is pretty <laughs> much minimum code. Yeah. And, and, and I keep trying to say this, and I thought we would go in a better direction. It's slowly getting there. But what I, what I think the way to do this is to challenge the government. It's to challenge the biggest builders out there that, you know, we've heard it. We're trying to build net zero, but net zero is a joke in itself because net zero ready is all about building a home that's ready for net zero, which right. is really the stupidest thing I've ever heard yeah. because it means you're ready to hook up panels. It's ready for Wi-Fi. It's, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. We need the challenge to build a home that is so environmentally friendly, which I already know how to do and I want to tell people, it's so environmentally friendly. Oh, and by the way, it is a healthy home. This is the new focus that we need to really strive on with the government, with schools, with the biggest builders out there. Create some sort of incentive, really, please, someone's got to do this, yeah. that we can live healthy. Because I'm telling you, man, it isn't about the ground countertops anymore, just like you said. It's not about anything else. It's about living healthy. And, and until we realize that, we're going to have an even bigger problem in the very near future. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I want to ask you on that environmental point, sort of how do you change people's minds about things like, like solar panels, for example? I have them on my house. I've had them for eight or nine years now, and I love them. But like for a lot of people either the aesthetics are an issue or, you know, sighting can be an issue. Like, how do you get people over that hump for whatever it is, whether, you know, geothermal, solar, new technology that's that's going to make us 
you know, more energy efficient and, and less dependent on fossil fuels. It's funny you say that. Uh, I have uh, panels on top of my house that feed back to the grid, and I get a check every two months. And on my garage, where I, I built the theory that the, I call it the home of my cars, but it is my theory on how to build a an, an incredibly strong, uh, environmentally friendly home for my cars. It has panels on the roof that feed 10,000 watts of battery backup. It's completely off the grid, and I did it on purpose. I had an argument with, uh, and I didn't want the argument, as a matter of fact. It was with a, a, t- a radio guy who wanted to challenge me because I, I'd just done the show about solar panels. And he wanted to challenge me. So, I, you know what? I said, okay, I'll, 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 do, I'll do the interview. And he goes, Mike, how much does that cost? I said, about $50,000 right there. And he goes, that's, inc- that's ridiculous. What homeowner is going to spend that kind of money? They could get a new kitchen and bathroom, you know, for the same, same cost. And I said, uh, and, he, and he goes, it doesn't add uh, value to the house. And I, and I said, wait a minute. I said, I don't want to argue with you, but let me tell you something. This is the future. Uh, if I can have a home that I don't have to rely on the infrastructure uh, outside, that it's solely uh, can produce its own electricity, its own clean water, which you know we proved we could do that in a, in a, a huge build. Anyhow, if I could do all that, I'm telling you, everyone wants that. Yeah. The, the perception is that it's too much money. It's a waste of time. And it's not. The more that we actually do this, the better it's getting. And, it, you know, proof is in the pudding. There are panels everywhere. Yep. You know, there are windmills everywhere and they're there for a reason. It is the probably the debate between people who know and people who don't know the importance of this. Again, that incentive thing that I'm talking about with the government new home builders to build environmentally friendly, the the real challenge that needs to be put out there is to build a community that is self-sustained. And that is possible. I've proved this. As a matter of fact, it cost me a fortune, and I don't know if I ever want to do it again, because in the long run, you know, the red tape of the government was more than I could handle. The crap that came with it wasn't even worth it to me to do. But yet we're still not doing it, building a community that is self-sustained. Do you know how easy that is to do? Yeah. And if you can do it it's on easy, a community we're not level, doing it. Yeah. If you can do it on a community level, you lay the infrastructure all at once at the beginning. And it just it makes a lot more sense than trying to do it house by house as a retrofit. You know, it's funny. I, for years, I talked about quarries and, and the, the environmental impact on rock quarries. Uh-huh. And they're all around the world. They're across the United States, Canada, they're everywhere. And the rock quarries, uh, they're, they're governed by the government that after they've finished pulling all of the rocks out of the ground, whatever rocks are needed, whether it's limestone for concrete, et cetera, they have up to, what is it, 25 years to turn it back into a green space. And this has been such a manipulation over the years, like anything else, that nothing has really been done with them. I only know of only a couple quarries that have returned back into a green space. I said... Let's work with these quarries because they once they tap into water, they have to actually funnel that water away, which is not good for the aquifers. It's not good for the environment or good for the ground. Yeah. That is underwater aquifers that have been bled into deep tunnels carved into the ground to get the stone. I said, let's here's how we turn it back into a green space. We turn that into brand new communities. Mm. Now you can use that water, clean it, feed that community. You can use it for geothermal because you know what geothermal is. Ground temperature sure. is around 60, 63 degrees Fahrenheit around the world, six feet beneath the Earth's surface. We can capitalize on that and build houses all around it and, you know, build a growing community that grows their own farm food so that they can work together to get some food. Something so simple could make such a huge difference. The problem is I'm going to move back to the red tape. Do you know how hard it is to do that with the government? Because regulations say what you can and cannot do. And that needs to be changed. And that's how we're going to change building communities smarter, better. Smarter is not Wi-Fi. Smarter is healthy and something that makes sense to the world, the environment, and the people that live in it. Yeah, self-sustaining. I, I love all that. I'm I'm totally on board. <laughs> I'm I'm so happy to hear you say all that. Um, I, I want to end just on a on a uh, lighter note, I guess. Um, I hear that you are doing a cartoon series. Is that right? 
<laughs> you know, it's funny. I've been working on this. I'm going to be doing podcasts at Delta Studio because it seems everyone else else. And I kind of like this conversation you and I are having. Sure, yeah. And I want to keep this up. I, I want to take on the world, to be honest with you. And that's what I'm going to do. Uh, the cartoon was really something on my mind years ago. And again, something I put money into that I can help teach the young to get into the trades. And it's not... I don't want to call it manipulation. I want to call it a necessity. And I want to do a, car, a cartoon that makes sense to the young to really, you know, learn better, to yeah. want to do the trades, to do it with care, to uh, make it right the first time. And uh, I, I hope to hell this is a huge success. I'm told it's going to be. And I'll keep pushing in that direction because it is something I care about. But who would have thought that I could become a cartoon character? <laughs> it's been a wild journey. It, it actually has been. Uh, I'm not done yet. I am getting older, and I, I am writing since I'm retired. But uh, I'm not done yet. So I've got a little more to do. I've got a little more strength and pushing me, and I'm going to keep going until I actually see a difference. All right, there we go, Mike Holmes. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope it wasn't too deep of a dive into construction, but... I definitely enjoyed working that part of my brain out again. And you heard him there at the end. He's looking into podcasting and cartoons and everything else. And, you know, if a conversation like this is what he has in mind for his podcast, I would listen to that. I would talk to him about that. I, I would love a show like that. And I'm happy to have his voice just out there in the world pushing things that I think more people need to be talking about. Energy efficiency, solar panels, geothermal all of that kind of stuff. It's important, and it's not always sexy, and it doesn't always bring in the most eyeballs on TV, but somebody's got to be having that conversation. So I'm glad I got a chance to talk with Mike about that. I will have more information and links and all sorts of fun stuff from my interview with Mike in the newsletter, which comes out every Sunday. Go to heathrasala.com and enter your email there to sign up for the newsletter. It's free, and you get it delivered right to your inbox every Sunday. And of course, I have new shows every Monday and Thursday. Thursday's show is such a fun one. Melody Thomas Scott is my guest, and she is a daytime drama icon. She's been playing Nikki Newman on CBS's The Young and the Restless for 41 years now. Like, I can't even comprehend that. <laughs> to not only have been on TV that long, but have been playing one character that long is phenomenal. So we have a really fun conversation about soap operas and what it means to be a daytime drama actress. So I hope you come back on Thursday for that one. I am at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. So drop me a line over there. Let me know what you guys are thinking about. And again, HeathRosella.com to join the newsletter. I will talk to you guys on Thursday with Melody Thomas Scott. Until then, stay safe. Keep washing those hands. Wear those masks. <laughs>